All right, what does devotion look like? Uh, I'm, I'm a, as many of you know, if you've ever walked into my office, my church office, I'm a devoted Los Angeles Dodgers baseball fan. Uh, I grew up frequenting famed Dodger Stadium as a child. It's the third oldest stadium in Major League Baseball. And this love for this team has stayed with me for much of my life. In, in the year 2017, the Dodgers finally punched through to make the World Series for the first time in nearly 30 years. They had won the championship all the way back in 1988 and had yet to return to the World Series. Uh, throughout the season, my wife Karen and I attended many games, including games in the National League Championship Series. We were actually at the game. They were playing the Chicago Cubs that year, the defending World Series champions. And Justin Turner, the third baseman for the Dodgers, hit a memorable walk-off home run to defeat the Cubs, uh, the defending, again, World Series champions. The Dodgers would go on to defeat the Cubs in that series and advance to the World Series. Our devotion to this team was clear and evident to everyone around us. It included right, wearing the colors, Dodger blue. We adorned ourselves with, with shirts or jerseys and ball caps. We knew the roster inside out. We devoted ourselves through monetary commitment, you know, not only purchasing gear, uh, but also tickets. And this culminated in a can't-miss opportunity to display our devotion by forking over money to see the Dodgers square off against the Houston Astros in Game 2 of the World Series, which ended up being an, an epic 11-inning battle that the Dodgers would ultimately, unfortunately, lose. Our devotion was evident as we stayed late into the evening and sat through record-setting heat. There was no playoff game that had ever been uh, more hot than this game. It was 103 degrees at first pitch at Dodger Stadium, and we had the cheap seats, so we were up in the top deck with there is no cover up there with the sun just blazing down on us. This is what devotion to something looks like. It's a full commitment to give, wear the colors, to fight through adversity, but the reality is, as much as I love sports, you guys know I love sports, I talk often about them in my sermons and illustrations, but here, here's the reality. Sports have no eternal value. It's entertainment, it's excitement, but they're not eternally significant. But there is something far greater that, that we can be devoted to that is of eternal significance. It's God. God is eternally significant, and we ask the question today, what does it mean to be devoted to God? This is our main idea. Our main idea is this. Devotion to Jesus is a, is a beautiful fragrance to the Lord. We're going to make this connection. If, if we say we believe in God, we must be devoted to his son, Jesus. Many people claim to believe in God, but, but the deeper question is, what does it mean to believe in God? What are the implications of this belief? And how do I truly devote myself to him? You see, there, there's no doubt that a core Christian belief is that devotion to God is only, this is an exclusive claim here, is only shown through deep devotion to his son, Jesus Christ. We cannot claim belief in God or devotion to his ways if we deny the son and lack a full-scale commitment to him. Devotion to him is a beautiful aroma to God the Father, Mary, in this passage, models this for us. She's a model of devotion. And because of her devotion in this scene, the whole house, it says, is blessed. It was filled with this beautiful perfume. This fragrance filled the home. It's literally filled with the fragrance of her blessing. And the Lord is blessed by her devotion as well. We could say that she 
glorified God through her gift. And, and in this passage, Mary's, we're going to spend just a few moments on this point. Mary's not the only one devoted to Jesus in this scene, but also her whole family, including her sister Martha and brother Lazarus, who, this is our first point, they, they show they are devoted to serve and rest in him. They're devoted to serve and rest in him, in Jesus. Verses 1 and 2, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. So this is in proximity to Jerusalem, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, right? Just in case you've forgotten, we've been on Lazarus for about the past three weeks or so. Jesus has raised this man from the dead. So what happens? They, they gave a dinner for him there. That is Jesus, to celebrate Jesus. Martha served and Lazarus, this is neat, Lazarus was one of those reclining with him, that is Jesus at the table. So you see this rest that Lazarus has in Christ. This family, in response to Jesus' bringing Lazarus to life, willingly devotes their whole household to following Jesus, serving and resting in him. Now we have to realize what's going on around this time, this context Again, Bethany in proximity to Jerusalem. Last week we learned that the, the uh, religious leaders have put out kind of this public decree that if anybody knows where Jesus is, who are they supposed to tell? Them, right? What's the intent? Why do they want to know? Because they want to kill him. They want to murder Jesus. And so the tension in and around Jerusalem is palpable, right? You could, it's thick. You can touch it. The Jewish leaders have made clear their intentions and have given public decree that if anyone knew where he was, they are to tell them. And in response, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus say, hey, Jesus, come over for dinner. Come share a meal with us. Share a celebratory meal. And they serve and rest in him. They, this is what's going on. They willingly associate with Jesus even if it cost them their reputation or possibly their life. As threats mount later in this passage against who? Lazarus now. They not only want to kill Jesus, but they also want to kill Lazarus. Devotion is evident in their service and rest in the Lord Jesus. But if we're honest, the highlight in this passage is clearly on this certain character, Mary, and her act of devotion to Jesus to give all to him. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning focusing on Mary, and that's our second point. She's devoted to give all to him, and we're going to look at a couple different ways that she does that under this point. First, let's read through verse three to six so we can kind of understand where we're at. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with a fragrance of, of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help, to, he used to help himself to what was put into it. We understand devotion to Jesus through Mary's example. Like oftentimes we, we read this passage we focus automatically on the evil of Judas, right? Because it's easy. I find in my life, it's, easy to, it's easier to compare myself to like detestable figures than it is to righteous people. 
because then I feel good about myself. So we oftentimes read through this, like I'm going to really focus on Judas because that's going to make me feel better about myself. But what I want us to do this morning, we're going to learn about Judas. We're going to actually hold these two characters side by side. We're going to see what true devotion to Jesus looks like and what really misunderstanding and unbelief looks like in Judas and also the religious leaders. I want you to be challenged this morning because it's easier to despise Judas instead of looking at Mary's devotion. And so we're going we're gonna to examine three points of devotion and compare those to the disloyalty of Judas and the hatred of the religious leaders. Here's the first point. We see in Mary her posture. We see her with humility versus the arrogance of Judas. In other, this, this account is, is talked about in two other gospels. In other gospel accounts of this event, if you'll remember, Mary pours the fragrant oil over the head of Jesus, covering his whole body. But in this passage, John focuses on the last action of Mary because he sets her as an example of devotion. She's where? She's postured at his feet. Okay, these are not in contradiction to each other. It's just the different authors have different aims, different angles that they're wanting us to learn from. And so in the Gospel of John, we're looking what true devotion looks like to the Lord. John wants us to learn something here. And so I'm going to skip around. I'm going to invite you to look at the screens a little bit. We're going to skip around through a few verses. I've pieced some things together. It says this, Mary therefore anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Okay, then we get, if you watch Disney movies, like when the villain comes in, there's the music that plays, dun, dun, dun. You know what I'm talking about? But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, then John adds this note, he who was about to betray him said, and I just focus on this one word, why? Why? Okay, Mary first. Mary is an example of humility, whereas Judas is an example of arrogance. Mary is set before Jesus, not near his face, not eye to eye, but in the humble position of servant, close to the floor, washing his feet with fragrant oil, not with a towel, but with her own hair. Mary understands the gravity of the situation. She is serving Jesus in a time of great need. Jesus is getting ready to enter the most difficult week of his life. He's being hunted. Okay, the, the, the prophecy of Isaiah is coming to fruition, coming to fulfillment right before our eyes. He's despised and rejected. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Mary is a great servant of the Lord Jesus, humbled before him, serving him with a fragrance that will saturate his clothing and fill the room. And I believe... I'm going to read into the story. I'm admitting this this morning, okay? I'm reading into the story a little bit here. I believe this lasting fragrance will bless the Lord in the difficult days ahead. It is humble and lasting. Is, Is your devotion to Jesus, this is the question, is your devotion to Jesus with humility, humble, and is it lasting? Is it meaningful? In stark contrast to her humility is the arrogance of Judas. I simply highlighted the first word of the question. Why? Parents, when you talk to your children and you ask them to do something and they begin with the statement, why? 
Does that not just make you cringe, right? Son, would you take out the trash? Why? Daughter, would you do the dishes? Why? You guys get where I'm getting at? Just makes me cringe kind of thinking about it. <laughs> this, this is the posture of Judas and of those in rejection to Jesus. They, they hold themselves up in arrogance over Jesus. Like, why would you waste such a precious commodity at this time and on his feet, no less? Judas is, is questioning Mary and Jesus. As, as Jesus allows Mary to move forward with this incredible act of devoted service, right? Questions. This should actually strike a chord with us and remind us of somebody who, who enters God's story all the way back in Genesis questioning things. Who could that character be? None other than the serpent slithering through the garden. What did he, did God really say? Be careful with your questions towards God. Christian, be prepared for these types of arrogant, like what's the application? Be prepared for these types of arrogant responses to your acts of humble devotion to Jesus. You know, question, why would you drive in the rain to go and worship Jesus? Why would you waste your Sunday morning when you could sleep in and watch TV? Why would you go on a mission trip and spend all this money and go help people? Why would you no longer engage in that sinful behavior that feels so good in the moment? Why do you even need Jesus? Everything's fine without him. Why do you give your money to the church? Right? Be ready for the questions. And know that humble devotion to Jesus is always worth it. Did you hear what I said? Humble devotion to Jesus is always worth it. Point number two. We see now the giving of possessions. We see here that Mary gives everything and Judas nothing. Again, if you want to follow along, look to the screens because we're going to bounce around a little bit. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Check out this, this contrast, right? We're seeing here, John does this often in his gospel. Light and darkness. Light and darkness. Mary takes this, this expensive, fragrant ointment and applies it to the body of Jesus. Judas here claims it's worth 300 denarii. Okay, that might be meaningless to us. but So let me define what this is. A single denarii was one day's wages. So if we put those together with, you know, you get weekends off, 300 denarii is approximately what? A year's worth of wages. Now I want you to think about how much you make in a year. That's the equivalent of this ointment that Mary is using on Jesus right now. A year's worth of wages. Think about how much money you make in a year. Are you willing to give that? To give that whole thing? Mary gives Jesus everything she has. And possibly even more so, this might have even been some sort of precious heirloom to the family, just waiting for a special moment. And Mary realizes, here it is. This is what we've had this sitting around for. A jar of something costly. But it's not just anything. It's an ointment that will bring 
comfort to Jesus. Again, reading into the passage a little bit. We can imagine that such a costly fragrance would stick to his skin and clothing, right? If I spend money on an expensive cologne, I don't do that stuff anymore. I did it when I was about 20. Now I just buy cheap stuff on Amazon. But when I, when, I, when I used to buy expensive stuff, it better stick around, right? If I'm going to spend money on the Calvin Klein stuff, it better stick to my clothing. It better stick to my skin and smell good for a long time. So, so we can hope that this costly fragrance had stuck to his skin and the smell was stuck to his skin and clothing. It would saturate in. And this, this costly gift, I believe, not only blessed Jesus in the present, but also in the week to come. This is a difficult week that Jesus is heading into. In about a week's time, when Jesus is alone on trial, as his accusers mock and spit on him, as the crowd cries out these words, crucify him, perhaps the aroma will fill his nostrils. As the, as the whips crack across his back and punches strike his face, as blood runs from the stripes in his back, the aroma will fill the air and Jesus' memory will take him back to reclining with Lazarus' family. When he fights his way through the streets, climbing the hill with the crossbeam of the tree and sweat fills his brow and drips down his face, he'll catch the scent of Mary's beautiful gift. And when his arms are stretched out wide and the soldiers gamble for his garment, the scant mix of uh, perspiration and blood and pure fragrant nard ointment will comfort Jesus in the midst of pain. Mary has given Jesus everything she has to honor him. A gift that I certainly believe was a comfort to Jesus in this day and the difficult days ahead. But Judas, Judas simply stands as an accuser of waste. He gives nothing. In fact, actually, he, he does worse than this. He not only gives nothing, but he's doing what? He's taking from the Lord. What an incredible comparison. One gives all, the other robs the Lord of what is rightly his. Caution. Here's a point of caution for us. Beware of, of reasoning away gifts that rightly belong to the Lord toward causes in your head that you deem weightier or better. When you give to the Lord, this is what we do. When we give, some, oftentimes we do this just so passively when we give an offering to the Lord. But really what we, sh- we should do with our offering is not be passive, but be actively worshiping God. Mary is is worshiping Jesus at his feet. She's washing his feet with her hair in this ointment. She's giving this beautiful gift to God. Do we view our offering to the Lord in the same way? Do we approach him in prayer saying, God, would you bless this and multiply this? Would you make this rise as a, a beautiful fragrance to you? I'm not just giving to a church. I'm giving to the Lord. We must, when we give to the Lord, take it to him in prayer. Seek his guidance and wisdom. This is how we truly, we're called stewards of of God's resources. This is how we truly steward the Lord's precious gifts. The third thing that we learn from Mary is perception. Her perception. She has comprehension of who Jesus is. Judas and, and the other religious leaders, they just don't understand. They don't get it. The the bottom line is that Mary knows full well the gravity of the timing. 
She may, she may not know all that this will entail, but she, I'll use this kind of phrase that we use, she reads the room, right? She's reading the room. She's getting the weight of the room, the situation. She understands how she must outwardly act in this situation. She's comprehending who Jesus truly is and is willing to show full devotion to him. Why? Because he raised her brother from the dead. It's amazing. Jesus responds to, to the accusations of Judas and the perception of Mary, verses 8 to 11. Jesus says, for the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away, you see the results, and believing in Jesus. Mary gets it. And to be to be clear, Jesus is not saying it's, it's either the poor or him. He's not giving us a choice here. He is honoring the choice of Mary to humble herself and give to the Lord in this moment as the best use of her resources. Jesus is for the poor and brokenhearted. Let's not miss that. But in this instance, serving Jesus with this costly gift is the best use. This is why all of our giving, again, must be worshipful and prayerful. Have you come to the Lord in prayer with your offering? God, guide me in the giving of this gift. Simply put, again, Mary gets it. She understands. She perceives this moment. The religious leaders, however, don't. They, they do not comprehend the power of Jesus and, and if we look at the end of this, this passage, their hatred towards Jesus now spills over to his followers. What follower have they zeroed in on here? Lazarus. It's no longer just Jesus that they plan to kill, but also Lazarus. This is a great lesson for us to look at the religious leaders as they continue in sin, and they double down, in a sense, on sin over and over, as they double down in rejecting Jesus. When we sin and continue in disobedience to God, look at how it expands into more and more deviant behavior. We can't mess with sin. It begins with questioning Jesus. Then they're jealous of Jesus. Then they want to kill Jesus. Now they want to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Do you see how this thing's exploding? And this pattern will continue. If you were to read through the book of Acts, it details how the unbelieving Jewish religious leadership acted and treated early Christ followers, right? The first martyr, Acts chapter 7, if we recall the story of, of Stephen, after the ascension of Jesus is at the hands of these men. As another man who, who's introduced Saul holds their garments and they hurl stones at Stephen. And where's Jesus standing These, these men will breathe out murderous threats against Christ's church. And Judas's incomprehension will lead him to that terrible mental space of giving up. He only needed to devote himself to Jesus. I'll say this even after his betrayal. I believe Jesus would have forgiven Judas if after he resurrected from the dead, Judas came and humbled himself before Jesus, but he didn't. 
That's all he had to do was humble himself at the foot of the cross to admit his wrong, to cast everything he has on Jesus, but he refused to do so. Judas did this. He, he took matters into his own hands. How many times do we do that? We needed to leave it at the cross, but we didn't. Because he doesn't comprehend the, the massivity of God's grace and mercy, even towards him. Eventually, Judas will conclude his rebellion and incomprehension of God by hiding in a field and ending his own life. I know we're not supposed to talk about these things, but there, there are, is a, a mental catastrophe going on in our society right now. A noose is not the answer. Taking your own life is not the answer. Falling at the foot of the cross is. If, you need to, if you're struggling with those types of thoughts, please run to a brother or sister in Christ and let us minister to you. Let us carry that weight with you. Don't go to that place. Instead, go to the place of mercy and grace. Follow the footsteps of Mary and humble yourself before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Give everything you have to him in worship and adoration and prayer and comprehend his mercy and grace towards you. Mary gets it. She gets the love of Jesus. And I, I'm going to promise you this this morning. In, in all of life's disappointments, where other people fail you or let you down, when the things you invest your money into crumble and stop working, or when that thing that you put your trust into turns its back on you, Jesus will still be there. Mary gets this, Martha gets this, Lazarus gets this. They understand that Jesus is, this is our third point, Jesus is devoted to his followers. We've talked a lot about Martha and Lazarus and Mary and their devotion to Jesus, but here's the bottom line. It's all about him. And he's devoted to you. Notice Jesus' defense of his people. And remember that he is devoted to you in the same manner. Listen to what he says, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, look at these first three words, leave her alone. So that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Simple, powerful. Our God is fully devoted to his followers. This is the gospel. This is the greatest news of all. Please don't miss this. We want to soak in the application of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But with that, now we want to pull our eyes off of ourselves and we want to lift our eyes to Jesus and recognize all that he's done for you and for me and all the ways he has devoted to his people. His word says this, that he will never leave you nor forsake you that God gave his only son for you and that he is right now in this moment interceding, defending you in heaven. And he has proven the power of his devotion even unto death. Jesus came in the flesh and he lived in perfection, full obedience to the law and will of God the Father. He willingly went to the cross in his perfection and substituted himself on the cross of shame and took on our punishment. He bore our sins on the tree. 
And he proved his ultimate devotion, not only there at the cross through his death, but he proved his ultimate devotion when the stone was rolled away and Jesus rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. Jesus has conquered death so that the enemies of God, hear this, so that the enemies of God will not have the final say. In this instance with Mary, Jesus had the final say, didn't he? What did he say? Leave her alone. Remember this phrase and whatever torments you, whether it be your past mistakes, maybe you have a sin that you committed long ago and it just grips your heart over and over and over again. Remember that word, leave. Leave it there. Leave her alone. Leave him alone. Leave the sin where it is in the past. Place it at the foot of the cross with Jesus. It was crucified with him. Maybe it's present doubt and fear. Possibly it's, a, it's the spiritual darkness of this world that's just weighing you down. Christ, listen, Christ stands at the right hand of the Father and he says this, leave her alone, leave him alone. Paul talks about this in Colossians 2, 13 to 15. Man, I love this passage. He says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's us, Christians. This is what God did. God made alive together with him. He's not in the grave. He's alive. We don't worship some dead guy. We worship the living Savior. How are we alive with him? Paul tells us, having forgiven us all our trespasses, not just some, Everything, every deep, dark secret that you have, Jesus has forgiven you of. Everything that you will mess up in the future, Jesus has forgiven you of. Every mistake you've ever made, Jesus has forgiven you. Why, it says right here, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What are the legal demands of sin? Death. It's death. Jesus died in our place. And he raised from the grave. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Man, leave it there. And here we go. This is the devotion of Jesus. This is the power of Jesus. This is what he's done. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He didn't just disarm them. Paul says, and put them to open shame. This was promised back in Genesis 3.15 that, that the son would come and crush the head of the serpent. Jesus has done that by triumphing over them in him. Jesus is ruling and reigning and has defeated every one of God's enemies. Jesus has triumphed over every evil and over every problem you have. He has triumphed over your sin and distance from him, right? The chasm that was placed between us and the Father, Jesus has bridged by his blood. And he gives us in Revelation a peek kind of behind the curtain of eternity. He just kind of peels it back a little bit. I'm just going to give you a little taste. 
so that you can keep walking. When you're depressed, when you're sad, when you're grieving, when that sin's hindering, here's a little peek. This is what's going on behind the scenes. Revelation 12 says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser. Who's the accuser? Hmm? Satan. Of our brothers has been, where's he at? Thrown down. Right? Boom. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. What is the response, right? Therefore, because of this, because Satan has been defeated, because God ultimately wins, because we're taking a little peek this morning behind the curtain, the Bible says this, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. The Bible tells us this. That those who are in Christ are seated with him right now in the heavenly places. So we can, even though we're alive and we're walking around on the earth, we can take hold of this last statement when it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Christ has seated us there already. So what's our takeaway? It's simply this. Rejoice in the Lord today. Humbly cast your cares, your doubts, and your sin upon him. Humble yourself before the Lord and freely give all to him. Devote yourself to service and rest. Devote yourself to a posture of humility before God. Give freely to him in the ways he has called you to give. And see the usefulness of your gifts to the ministry of the kingdom. Again, remember this. Rejoice in the devotion of Jesus to you and hold fast to him. Amen?